This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Analyzing Anfield. I am Christian Walsh and with me as always is Josh Williams. I'll say this once more, we are on your podcast device and we are also on YouTube now. So hello to anyone who's listening and hello to anybody who's watching. You are listening, you are watching Analyzing Anfield podcast. Liverpool, top of the league, Josh. Two wins out of two and they are the Super Cup champions. This is, It's all been going on. All been going on since we last uh, sat down and spoke. So what we'll do, we've got a little bit to get through before previewing the Arsenal game, uh, which comes up on Saturday afternoon. I think Chelsea's a little bit too far gone, Josh, um, but we'll have a little quick spot check around it and then we'll talk about Southampton, then we'll crack on into Saturday afternoon's game. So first and foremost, top of the league, Super Cup champions, how's it all going? I think we're quite lucky, to be honest, <laughs> to be in both positions. Uh I'm not sure it's gone as swimmingly as I thought it would have, um, but you know, I mean, we're getting over the line. we're getting over the line. Hopefully, over time, it'll um, smooth out. Let's say, let's you know, make it a little bit more cohesive in how we play and things like that. But we're still getting wins, but it's not as convincing as it felt last season. I think it's safe to say that Chelsea were nowhere near as bad as we said they'd be. They weren't, no. And you did, to be fair, you did you did say last week that. You know, okay, it, 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 they won't necessarily be as bad as they were, but they weren't. Um, so, you know, I think you've got to take that into consideration before anything else that Chelsea were nowhere near as bad as we thought they might be. Yeah, one of the things I said, and I should have said it, or I certainly wrote it as the um, in my piece that Lampard had to very quickly become pragmatic, basically. Mm. But you did say yeah, that. He had to introduce an element of pragmatism in terms of. You can't just set out and with your ideal um, system of play and and all that kind of thing when you're facing a team as good as Liverpool. You've got to you've got to adapt. You've got to be, be a bit more flexible just to take care of certain certain departments and things like that. And I wasn't sure whether Lampard would do it because there's not much evidence to go on of him doing it. You know, he's doing the job, and he didn't seem to do it at all against United, but. You know, completely new shape. They they moved into a four three three from four two three one. They pressed in a more measured manner. I'm not sure what the PVDA was on it, but it was might have been eleven actually compared to the previous week against United when it was seven. Um, you know, thereabouts. They had a bit more of a deeper line, um, more compact, more experienced in the team. So he he adapted. Almost as though he'd read the article, to be honest. Hopefully he didn't. And Hopefully you know, he did. Well, hopefully, I suppose so, yeah. It'd be I nice mean, if Frank was a, was, a, was, a, was, a, <laughs> was a fan of you, Josh, and, and of the Analyze and Anfield pod. I can imagine he's sitting there on his iPod right now having a listen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, I mean, from a Liverpool perspective, it would have been nice if he hadn't, because we, we, we could have been any score, really. But because he made those changes, the match was a lot tighter. We found a lot trickier. Um I didn't think it was a particularly enjoyable game because it was really messy from a Liverpool perspective. Uh, but yeah, we managed to win. Just a couple of uh, things that I wanted to touch upon. Number one, just you said it was a messy game. I, I, the pitch probably didn't help with that. It felt like it was a really, really poor pitch. Uh, just two little things about Liverpool from that game. I've just written them down very, very um, shorthand. Mane is incredible. 
and Liverpool need to play Firmino in every minute of every game. Well, I certainly agree on the Firmino shout because um, I was a response piece after the final. Um, on and and I had I had a header image on the on the thing, uh, and the image was just you got Van Dijk, Fabinho, and was it Matip on the day? Uh, it was Matip, wasn't it? So you got them three forming a situational back three, and then you've got Salah bombing on, Mane bombing on. Ox bombing on, um, Robertson bombing on, Henderson bombing on, and we didn't have a midfield, essentially. He selected a team for me, a team of runners, a team of players who want to chase the ball in behind, run away from the ball, rather than players that want to actually assume the ball, offer a short passing option and things like that, and it just resulted in the first half in us just having a complete lack of connectivity in in central zones, offensive central zones, and it was it was a shambles. I think our our passing accuracy was. I mean, I don't usually use stats like that, but our passing accuracy was something like seventy seventy nine percent or something like that, and our usual was eighty five. I think. Um, Firmino comes on at half time, and immediately offers the link that we were missing. He's more inclined to come short rather than running in behind, so. You know, at the end of that half, I think Liverpool had a pass negative of 84 points something, which is obviously much more Liverpool. But that team selection at the start, I wrote when I tweeted it out as the caption, um, just an 11 that Liverpool shouldn't ever select again, Klopp should never select again, because it, was, it didn't have a mix of profiles enough. It had a lot of players, as I said, that want to run away from the ball rather than... Which is a skill, by the way. You know, you've got Salah running in behind, Mane running in behind, Ox making penalties runs, but you need a balance of players who are going to, you know, provide a bit of glue, in essence. Um, Trent's a bit of a technician, Trent didn't play. So it was just a, a bad selection for me, and we, we luckily got away with it in the end. So what we'll do is, you say Liverpool got away with it, what we'll do is sort of look at, Southampton now but we'll sort of reference Chelsea as well a little bit again I think relevantly um, in Istanbul there were issues which showed high line I think there was you know I think I think there was a high line issue um, and there was an issue of conceding shots and this issue then reared its head yet again against Southampton so it feels like now it's becoming a trend. Um, it's still early days. You can't read too much into it. The sample size is still small. But I just thought I'd throw this one out to you, Josh. Uh, Liverpool against Southampton conceded 10 shots, um, which was the third game in a row. It's been 10 or more. Um, and just as a bit of a comparison there, Southampton had eight shots last season, one on target, uh, and an XG of 0.43. This season, it was 10 shots, three on target, and an XG of 0.98. So you're tripling your shots on target. You've had more shots. You've allowed more shots. And also the XG is pretty much, well, it's, it's over double. Um, but the last time Liverpool conceded three, sorry, conceded 10 shots in a game for three games on the bounce consecutively, was you've got to go all the way back to the start of 2016-17 when they drew 1-1 at White Hart Lane against Spurs. They beat Leicester 4-1 at Anfield and then they beat Chelsea 2-1 at Stamford Bridge. That's absolutely insane when you think about 
how long ago that is. You know, Anilana's pinging in 20 yards, absolute howitzers from the edge of the area against Leicester as a number 10. Well, as a number 8 slash number 10. A lot has changed there. You know, Virgil van Dijk still playing for Southampton. It's, you know, Mo Salah's a... At Roma, you know, so that's the last time it happened, and that's also probably the time when Liverpool had real defensive concerns. So, what's going on? I think for me, this is the talk at the minute. This is the you know the guesswork that's going on very, very early. Impossible to say definitively, but even at this early stage, you know, given Liverpool's fan base and the level of analysis provided around Liverpool by, you know, the media and things like that, the word this season is that Liverpool have a higher defensive line. Um, I have looked into it since we we last briefly mentioned it, but I think we, we only mentioned after one match, was it, or something like that? Yeah, I think I think it was because of a little bit of what was going on in pre-season. I noticed it because I was over in America, so I sort of saw it firsthand there. I think it happened a little bit against City, uh, and it happened again, Pookie scores, because you know the, the high line is broken against Norwich. Yeah, I mean, my thoughts on this, I, I think Liverpool this season have very slightly tweaked the way we defend um, to coincide with A, VAR and B, um, the fact that, okay, we're now champions, give the team something else to almost motivate them, another means of development. Klopp's obviously obsessed with development whenever you hear him speak. And I think rather than maybe doing what City are doing and refining a specific approach to the game that you will eventually perfect. I think Klopp's more about how can we get even better at, you know, another element of the game kind of thing. So I think Liverpool, I don't think our defensive line is higher, you know, per se. It's not really that. And I think if you was to try and analyse that using data points and things like that, you're going to really struggle. Because things like average positions, I don't know, tackles made, aerial duels, they're all going to be roughly in the same areas as last season. I don't think there'll be much of a change there at all. What I am noticing the difference in is Liverpool seem less inclined to retreat and drop off compared to last season. Just when opposing teams maybe get into the the middle of the pitch or when they get into when they approach the final third. Liverpool just seem a little bit less inclined for me. The back four seem less inclined to retreat and drop off. And instead, they seem to be, you know, situationally pushing up to catch a man offside. And obviously Liverpool have always played offside to an extent, but this is this seems like, you know, more so than, than I've seen before. As I say, it's very, very early days. It's impossible to say at this stage, and it's something that we should follow gradually and we'll get more of a feel after like maybe 10 games you know at the minute just I think there's very few data points as I said that you can go on at the minute to prove this but just as a vague very early example last season in the Champions League and the Premier League Liverpool posted 3.14 offsides per match they caught 3.14 opponents offside per match Um. This season, it currently stands at 6.67. So they've over, so over-doubled they've it. They've almost doubled it, yeah. 
that's heavily inclined. Uh, that's heavily that heavily derives from the Chelsea match in the Super Cup because we we caught Chelsea offside nine times in ninety minutes in that game. So although Chelsea have massively influenced this season's sample size, catching the team offside nine times doesn't happen. So I went and looked at that last season. The most we caught a team offside in one match was seven. That happened against Burnley, Arsenal and Napoli. Um, and most matches were like three offsides, maybe. Mm. Maybe four. You know, we caught Norwich offside five times. Caught Chelsea offside nine. Uh, we caught Southampton offside four. And they are all significant upgrades on the same matches last season. Yeah. Um so it's as I say, it's it's really difficult to um to prove this that this is happening without the use of video and, and things like that. But I am of the belief that we are doing this and I think that it's happening because I think that one of the impacts it's having on us is the fact that we are now conceding a few more shots, bedding in period with it. We're obviously travelling a lot with the whole turkey thing, you know, Super Cup over there. We had a bit of a dodgy pre-season, players came back late. So I think the shots we're conceding stems from the fact that we are now defending slightly differently. Uh, obviously VAR provides a guarantee if you if you play a, if you get a player offside, VAR is guaranteed to spot it. So I think that's why we're doing it. It's just a, a, a tactical development based on a new law in the game, really, and it makes sense. But for the first couple of weeks, maybe even months, we may have a few problems there. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay, so here's one. Here's, here's an interesting one for you. When if if this is what Klopp's doing, and this is what they've formulated. Is this absolutely predicated on Alison Becker being the goalkeeper? Because you've spoken before about how much overperformance Alison has done at Liverpool, and therefore he is likely to save shots which are more likely to go in. He will basically save more shots. He will not concede as many goals as he should be conceding because he is an elite goalkeeper. Is that therefore during pre-season you look at things and you say, right, okay, so we've got a goalkeeper who can do this. So it's absolutely fine if we allow more shots at goal because we've got a goalkeeper who overperforms to what is expected and therefore he can stop it. Also, bear in mind, he is ultimately a centre-back at times, the way he plays at Liverpool. So is Liverpool doing this absolutely founded in having Alisson Becker as the goalkeeper and not Adrian, for example? I do think it, it it involves that, yeah. I think it's going to be a massive thing if he's not back soon. Yeah, I think it ties in with the fact we have Allison as our keeper, who's very inclined to sweep off his line. So if a player does beat the trap, and he's in an excessive amount of space, we have a keeper who's comfortable closing them down, closing down the angles, and you know, effectively bossing the one on one. Even look at Sterling when he goes through in the community shield. Now, okay, Sterling makes the mistake and he's a little bit, who do I pass to, do I shoot, do I pass? But Alisson holds his nerve. Very similar yeah. to how we did with Lingard, for example, at Old Trafford last season. Hazard, Stamford Bridge, that one always comes to mind. Um, 
And I, I, I think alongside Alisson, it stems from the fact we have very, very quick defenders. So if we do play the offside and they beat it, you know, they should be so far away from goal because we're playing, we're keeping the line high that considering the likes of Gomez, Trent, Robertson and Van Dijk won't have a ball at the feet, they just get to sprint back. It should give enough to to put the player on, under pressure before he can take his shot. And if you're taking a shot under pressure, it's it's not going to be, you know, an easy finish. Um, usually the the consequence of a player beating the offside stop is that he gets a clear-cut chance one-on-one with the goalkeeper. But as I say, I think because our, our defence is so quick, the individuals in it, I think we have the belief that by the time the player takes the shot, he'll be under significant pressure by our, our retreating defenders and the fact that Allison's come out to close him down, yeah. And I think Adrian's maybe... How old is he? 32, is he? 31, 32, maybe. He's obviously less mobile, less quick on the quick off the mark and things like that. So it it would definitely um put it this way, would would definitely be more suited to play in this high line if Allison was playing, put mm. it that way. You know, it it's don't wanna I don't wanna go in too heavy on Adrian. I think he's already a Liverpool hero, um, for what he did in Istanbul. He's clearly a really nice guy, and he's—I he's, think he's a good number two goalkeeper. He, well, he's—he's he's absolutely fine as a number two goalkeeper. Problem is the moments that he's been basically thrusting as the number one. I think what you got to remember against Southampton as well is that he was carrying an injury, um, and I, it feels to me when you were watching him, it felt like he—you he, know—with with the deepest respect to Andy Lonergan, sixty uh, percent Adrian is 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 better than a hundred percent Andy Lonergan. Um, I can't believe I've just said that sentence in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's little little things, I suppose. Players are maybe struggling with it a little bit. Van Dijk doesn't look as composed at the moment. I think Robertson and Trent are a little bit unsure. And it probably doesn't help that they haven't got Alisson behind them. You know, I, I go to that Yeshida save. It's a fantastic save from Adrian. But I think Alisson's already caught that from the <laughs> yeah. corner. And I think that's the difference. Again, it's a, he's, he's more proactive than... Mignolet, for example, um, but he's not as reactive as, as Alisson. Very few are. Yeah. Um, and I think we might we might as well address it now. I think the error that he made was... Um, for me, that was a concern, and that that was clear evidence of a goalkeeper who's not used to playing for the top side, for me, because he's a big character and things like that, and... You know, you I don't know if you've seen a video on social media of him in a friendly and he goes carries the ball up one end of the field to the other end and scores. No, I haven't I'm not seen, seen that, that no. <laughs> um it's a little bit of tension seeking if you want to put it that way. Uh and I don't know, I think when I saw the initial the initial mistake where he just gives the ball to Danny Ings, it's the kind of thing that a keeper would do when he's like trying to be too clever. And he's doing it because he's essentially a little bit bored and he wants to do something that he doesn't have to do just for the sake of being involved. There was a clear open pass to might have been Joe Gomez. He just stupidly opts to play to play a, a clever pa- pass pass past Danny Ings and there's no need for it. And I think it was the kind of thing that a keeper would do. As I say, if he was a bit bored, if he wanted to just do something for his own self gratification kind of thing. So it's something that I think he will hopefully learn from. 
And it's something that, I, as I say, I think it stemmed from the fact that he's not used to being so inactive. I think in that second half, Southampton had very few shots. So he had ultimately very little to do. Um, and it relates to the whole results thing. You know, I said that our performances should, should generally not, dro- not drop too much. But results may be um, in the balance just because... If Allison plays that match, we don't concede that goal. We end up one of those easy 2-0 winners. Whereas we should have really conceded another goal right after that. Uh, the, the sitter that Danny Ings missed. We end up losing two points there as a result of a keeper just being a bit silly. Um, so yeah, it was, it's just a little bit of a concern. Certainly a concern ahead of the weekend. It's just something that hopefully we'll be able to... You know, just just keep pressing on and keep managing wins until our main number one's back. We hope he's back soon. Let's talk about some of the good, interesting things as well then. Um, Oxlade-Chamberlain led the dribbling statistics with four. And it was just quite nice to see him, wasn't it? In that number eight position again and doing what he was doing pre-Roma injury. Yeah, for me, this, the central, uh, central midfield role is definitely his best. Definitely feels more com- most comfortable there. Uh, I don't. I just don't think he's the type of player who's inclined to offer an incisive poaching scoring threat. I don't think he's naturally inclined to to be that poacher that we need him to be if he's occupying Marnie's role mm. or Salah's role. Whereas if he's in the midfield, he can contribute to more all round generic aspects of play rather than you know decisive actions in the final third. Um. I think that, you know, the fact that he's a dribbler, he also offers a fair amount of defensive contribution. So he's a, he's a little bit like Naby Keita in that regard. Mm. Naby Keita's unique in that he, he offers a, an awful lot on both sides of the game. And I think Chamberlain does as well. Uh, Chamberlain made, I think it was, well, Weisskoat have got his nine interceptions in the match. That's his most in a one-off match since April 2017 versus Spurs, and that was when he still played for Arsenal. Mm. So, you know, as you say, he's posting good dribbling numbers, he's posting solid defensive numbers by the looks of it. So he's a, he's quite quite an all-round player that, in the centre of the park, when he's fit and firing, you know, really useful to have. Feels almost like first choice. I mean, especially when Case is out. It depends on game situation. We've spoken about the midfield a lot, haven't we? But... It feels like Oxley Chamberlain could, uh, you know, could make that like position the, his own. Yeah, like people, there's a, there's a belief that he couldn't possibly play in a midfield with Fabinho and and Naby Keita, and I don't really know where that stems from. Mm. People look at it and go like, it looks too too offensive or whatever, which is true. But it's it, that's not that doesn't matter. It's 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 about the system as a whole, mm. and they both offer. It's not like they both don't provide them defensively and they're both purely attacking players like Shaqiri, for example. They're both two really top-quality defensive players who who are incredibly good at pressing and things like this, regaining the ball. So that's that's hopefully one a, a selection that we'll eventually see. I think it's plausible. I think it's doable. You just maybe ask Robertson and Trent not to go so far forward because they'll yeah. be naturally drifting out wide because Keita drifts out to the left, Oxlade-Chamberlain maybe to the right. Salah and Mane go in field. You know, in that situation, you've got your five forwards and your five defenders because you've got Oxlade-Chamberlain, Keita, Firmino, 
Salamane, just as you know, as an, as an example, and then you've got Fabinho and the back four. That's no real difference than if you had a more workman like free in the midfield who don't necessarily go forward, but you've got Trenton. Yeah, exactly. It just depends. It's a five and a five, whichever way you pay. It's just it's just different different positions and different players. Yeah, like say for example, we was playing for arguments. Say Crystal Palace. Where's Crystal Palace's threat for me on the flanks? Zaha. Who's he got? Who's he got to the middle? Christian Benteke scored two goals in about two years. No threat there. In central midfield, they've got Luka Milivojevic. I think I've just got that right. Yeah, you have. Well done. Maybe Max Meyer. Does he play central midfield? Max, he, was, he had a stink. Or Kuyate or someone like yeah, that. He had a stink of Meyer against Sheffield United. I don't think he'll be playing much longer, but yeah. But centrally, they haven't got much of a threat. So you can then instruct, okay, play Naby and Ox as a pair alongside Fabinho. They can both advance a little bit higher. And then on the flanks, Palace have got Will Zaha and maybe Anzos Townsend on the opposite side. So Trent and Robertson stay a little bit deeper. Just mix it up with little yeah. things like that. It provides options. Want to just talk about... talk about Actually, now we're talking about Trent and Robertson. We'll just mention that. Uh, against Norwich, Robertson had nine crosses, Trent eight. Um, against Southampton, it was 14 crosses from Trent and four from Robbo. Is there, is there anything to read into that a little bit? Because I've been a little bit underwhelmed with Robertson. I've been a bit underwhelmed with both of them, I suppose, a little bit, just because their standards were so high at, the, at, at you know throughout last season. But is there anything to read into that? Is there any concern about the full-backs at the moment, or are they, are they just sort of finding the feet and getting getting up to speed for the season? Uh, I don't think there's a great deal of concern there yet, simply because we're you know, three, four games into the season, really. I shared that thoughts on Robertson I thought specifically away at Southampton just didn't think he was very good to be honest I thought his first touch was a little bit off if your first touch is off then you're going to be buying time really in whatever actions you have to you have to do um, I'm not too sure as to why you know Robertson posted so much lower crossing figures than sense maybe he was f- fulfilling a more defensive role or Valerie's a good right back isn't he yeah, on he the slide, he's a good, I mean, I know he played the wing back system, but he's a, he's a good right back. Maybe that's got something to do with it. Yeah, possibly, but it's it's something maybe worth keeping an eye on. But I do agree that I think um, certainly offensively, I think Robertson could could be offering a little bit more certainly based on what we used to. And talk about Mane and, and Firmino just for a moment. Josh we spoke about them a little bit, but certainly Firmino against Chelsea. But Mane five key passes and uh, just an incredible goal. I mean. Oh, is he the world's most underrated player? Um, I know that's, you know, what is racist? Who rates who? It's it's a very, very loaded question, that. But, you know, it just feels like he doesn't get the, the credits he deserves. He's, in 2019, he's been up there with, with the absolute best. Yeah, he's an absolute top-level player, elite player. Never injured. Doesn't need much rest at all. Lightning quick. Unpredictable. Two-footed. Great with his head, you know you can't ask for, you yeah, can't yeah. ask for much more than that. And five key passes as well in one match. You know, for those that don't know, a key pass is a pass that leads to a shot. So I'm not sure how many shots Liverpool had in that match, but if he's if he's assisted five of them, you know that's a that's a that's a fair contribution, and that's something that last season we maybe pointed out that you know in terms of creativity and assists that could be something he can improve upon. So if he's provide five key passes in one match. And I think against Southampton as well, he really stepped up. He, we wouldn't have won that game without Mane playing for me. Uh, so yeah, just a top player. And I, 
I think he really epitomises Jurgen Klopp, really. I think he epitomises what Klopp's football stands for. I think Mane is very, very erratic, takes a lot of risks, a bit all over the place, or he can certainly look that way, even if he's not fast, energetic, aggressive, um, hard-working, superb defensively. He's just a, a real Klopp player, I think, Sadio Mane and... Yeah, I'd I'd go along with um, the shout that he's underrated. Uh, although this, usually the things like that usually end up going the opposite way, and then people start saying he's underrated, and then people start saying like he's better than Salah. In my opinion, he's better than Salah, but he's not. I wouldn't say that. Like, but he's still an unbelievable player. Um, underrated in most aspects. Yeah, I'd say. I think you've just broken the internet, by the way. I reckon <laughs> if you are, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening on the podcast. I'll, I'll tell Josh what what you think about uh, him saying that Salah's better than Mane. Let's 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 get let's get a bit of argument going on social media. I just think that like the moment one the, the moment someone says a player is underrated, oh yeah, yeah. he's no longer you underrated. Start looking really, at you, yeah. and then any any little contribution they make, you yeah. know, did you see that? Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah that happened with Henderson. I think Henderson yeah, definitely got slated for years, and then he started playing two diagonals a match, and people was like. Posting comp- compilations of it on YouTube and things ben- like that. Bernardo Silva, it's yeah. just like, oh, he's so underrated. Like he, he, he was nominated for Player of the Year. Like he's, he's, he's pretty widely accepted as one of the league's best players. How rated can you be? Yeah, you're um, underrated until someone tells you you're underrated, yeah. and at that point you become, you, you gradually racist, start yeah. becoming overrated. To be honest. But then again, Mane was obviously up in the, in the mix for the Player of the Year as well, so maybe he isn't that underrated. Um, just wanted to touch on for me, you know, I, I put this on social media on on um, on Saturday. He it reminds me a little bit of Tevez, Carlos Tevez, when he was so good at United, and we don't really have data on that. I know it's more got to use your eyes here, but I mean, do you see where I'm coming at with that comparison? That it's strong, tenacious. He just looks a lot stronger this year, but also a lot. M- not a lot more mobile. I think he's always been mobile. He just seems a lot more fleet-footed this season. Uh, there's a little bit more sharpness to him. There's a little bit more agency about him. Yeah, I definitely agree on the sharpness. He definitely looks really sharp. His first touch is immaculate so far, and that's that's a massive part of his game, considering he's a link player, and he's the player that kind of like provides the glue in the final third. He does that a lot, and I've said this a lot, by just linking the play with his first touch, not not controlling the ball, turning, changing his angles and all this. He just links the play immediately with his first touch of the ball and that allows us to progress up the field quickly, get for me to be in as few passes as possible kind of thing. And that's why we're so good at counter-attacking. So, yeah, I think he, he looks on his game. I don't think he's going to be, maybe not provide the score and output of Tevez. I'm not sure what Tevez got in his best season. 20 plus three. I think he, got the, I think he shared the golden boot in fact in he one did, season he did with Aguero maybe um, oh. I'm not too sure on that but you know in, in terms of providing a, a penetrative threat and things like that Firmino historically not the best for that this season he's only taken this is this is based on Charity Shield uh, Community Shield sorry Super Cup and our two league matches so far obviously not many minutes but he's only averaging 1.83 shots per match. The guys that score the most usually post over three shots per match. So I think Firmino's just simply too generous and not selfish enough to be Liverpool's top top scorer this season, for example. Mm. I think he's he's just more inclined to do 
you know, the grafting side of the game and the supplying side. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think he's actually second at the moment. Again, the smallest sample size ever, two games. But I think he's second expected goals and assists. He is, yeah. Um, he posted 1.15 against Norwich. Mm. Um, yeah, he had four shots against Norwich. That was a superb performance. If he's taken four shots per match, that's can't ask for much more than that. Mm. But then he he took he took none in the Super Cup, having played about 79 minutes. Took two against Southampton. Uh, took one in the the eighty two minutes he played against City in the Community Shield. So he's just not that player. He's just not the player that finishes the moves. Usually he's the player that is just before that really. Um, but we you know we need that player. That that's not that's not like a knock on him or anything like that. That's that's a player we we struggle without really. I'm astounded by Tevez's numbers here. Say that again. I'm astounded by Tevez's numbers. <laughs> I completely misremember them as a player. How many, how many goals do you reckon he scored for Man United in the 08 09 season? How many matches? Uh, so we'll go with Premier League. 29 Premier League games. How many goals do you reckon he scored? Uh, 1,860 minutes. Sorry, I know this is a Liverpool podcast. It's just, <laughs> that's just absolutely irrelevant. Well, if, if you scored on 15, then you scored on 1 and 2. He, that wasn't that wasn't the season he was a top scorer. By the way, this is the season he went toe to toe with Liverpool. Obviously, oh eight oh nine. So that's when he had Berbatov, Rooney. Did he have Berbatov? Uh, I'm not sure. It's too far back for me. There, I think he did. Um, I'll tell you it anyway. Go on. Five goals. Five goals. Five goals. <laughs> he scored fifteen in all competitions, but that was you know he scored two in the Champions League. The season after. So the season after they win the league, you know, they get the, the 90 points against Liverpool's 86. He moves to Manchester City and he scores 29 goals. He scores 29, 29 yeah. goals in 41 games. I'm just, I'm sorry, 42. 29 and 42. I'm astounded. And then the season after he gets 20 league goals in 31 league games. I'm absolutely, and then he goes on strike. <laughs> yeah, um, on strike, yeah. <laughs> But I'm absolutely astounded by that. But yeah, so maybe maybe he is a United. I mean, for me, you know, scores more than Tevez did there for United. Um, you know, Te- Tevez's best Tevez's best um, United Premier League season was 07-08 when he got 14 in 34. So maybe he reminds me of Tevez, but I think for me, you know, he's probably a better scorer. Certainly when he was at United. Yeah, that's quite surprising. Yeah, though. that's 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 amazing. Uh, we we won't we won't dwell too much longer on Manchester United away to nine numbers. Uh, instead, we will look to Arsenal 2019-20. Josh, Liverpool play Arsenal uh, at Anfield on Saturday, five thirty kickoff UK time. So let's talk a little bit about Arsenal and also a little bit about Liverpool. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and this is what's been getting said all summer, especially when they signed Nicolas Pepe from Lille. Um, obviously, he was a player that was linked with Liverpool. Liverpool were never really interested in him, despite the, what, what his agents were saying. Um, but they yet to unleash that from free. So Willich has been playing in centre mid, and Reese Nelson's been playing. Uh, Lacazette didn't even start against um, Newcastle on the opening day. So Aubameyang was on his own against Newcastle. Then he brought in Lacazette against Burnley. Is this the game where we might see the the the, the, the hole from three? I think it's definitely possible considering Arsenal will 
surely approach the game expecting to, to be the inferior team. Usually the inferior team has to rely on basically counter-attacks to, uh, as a means of offering a threat. And Pepe is a, a really, really useful player for that kind of thing. Really good on the transition, good at carrying the ball up the field on his own. And he's fast. And then obviously you've got Abamyang on the opposite flank, who's also equally as quick. They both offer real threats uh, in terms of scoring. And then you've got Lacazette through the middle, who offers a Firmino-esque uh, dynamic. It's crazy how he's nowhere. He's not. He's not on Firmino's level. But it's. it's I always thought of Lacazette at Leon as this sort of quick striker who gets in behind the line and just is an absolute goal scorer. He's he, all round. He's on the. You know, on the quiet. He's he's a really good all round player for Arsenal and, and links it all together. He is a good all round player. Yeah, uh, I think he's got a bit more of a scoring threat about him than Firmino, but I think Firmino's better. Just in terms of linking the play, better defensively, obviously. Uh, I think he's more of a team player and things like that. But yeah, it's, it is it is interesting considering they haven't actually used it yet, but they could really just completely copy Liverpool's dynamic. I think sometimes people will say that and they'll be, they'll be off the mark, but this is genuinely, they do have a very similar makeup to Liverpool's. Liverpool's front three just simply works usually so well because you've got two wide, fast scoring threats who are inclined to run behind coupled with the guy in the middle who's inclined to drift the opposite way so if you're an opposing defender you're getting pulled backwards forwards and at the end of the day there's probably going to be someone left if you if you don't follow Firmino Firmino has time to receive the ball turn and face the goal if you don't follow Salah but you follow Firmino, then you you open up a channel behind you. Salah can dart into it. So it's it's a, a pretty simple dynamic that Liverpool provide. But not many teams seem to have actually, you know, copied it or went down that route. Um, but Arsenal right now, with you know, with Pepe's addition, could could absolutely do that. And considering, as I said, that they're going to be they're not going to have as much possession as they used to, and they're going to be focused on counter attack. And maybe maybe they'll do so. And I'm feeling, you know, it remains to be seen. Sample size far too small, Josh. Um, but Arsenal last season had the best best XG per shots, is that right? Yeah. So the, and Liverpool second? Liverpool second best, yeah. Um, but they're actually bottom half after the opening two games this season. It's early days, you can't really look into that. Um, and also the talk of Liverpool looking a bit shaky at the back. Uh, but Arsenal conceded the same XG per shot over the last two games as well. So... I think what you're seeing here at the moment from a very, very small sample size is two teams that have been defending in it or certainly giving up a similar types of chances um, and also uh, an Arsenal side who are not necessarily creating excellent chances. But then, you know, Newcastle away, Burnley at home, they're not traditionally teams who will give much away in that sense. Are you anticipating? I, I, I find this really fascinating because Liverpool had the best defence in the league last season. They won 5-1. Um, they conceded two goals or more in what was it, one two games last season, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, everyone I've seen on social media and, and some think pieces that people have written are anticipating three two four three five four. <laughs> how how's this how's this perception changed so quickly? I think it's changed because you know Liverpool are defending differently for me. We are defending with this new tweak that we want to obviously integrate and it's resulting in 
a few more shots being conceded, a bit less cohesion and a bit more openness, really. So I think in the early stages of this season so far, we've we've went more in the direction of Arsenal, whereby, you know, we are allowing chances um, to be posed on our goal. Arsenal got outshot by Newcastle and Burnley. Uh, eight shots versus Newcastle. Um, Steve Bruce's side took, took 11. 15 shots against Burnley. Oh, sorry, Burnley also had 15 shots. So they haven't actually won the shot, can't you? Um, so I think Liverpool obviously a better version of Arsenal. How would you have? How would you have fifteen shots against you at the Emirates against Burnley? Exactly, exactly. That's that that. But that's that's the route we're going down in in the early stages of this season because we're allowing eleven against Norwich. Eleven against Norwich. And and yeah. How many against Southampton? It was ten. It was ten. Yeah. So it's not great, and it's something that last season our average across the full campaign, you know, all competitions, I think it was seven point seven shots per ninety. So. This season we have gone more in that direction and that that does suggest that when Liverpool meet Arsenal in a fixture, it should be quite open. It should be, unless Liverpool go back to the last season's routes, which I don't think we'll do, it should be quite an open game. It should be, there should be goals. Um, and I think this time around, unlike Norwich, Southampton, Newcastle and Burnley, both Arsenal and Liverpool both have serious quality in attack that can actually finish chances. So if the game is as open as it usually is for both teams based on this season, and players like Bamiyang, Salah, Mane, Pepe, Lacazette, Firmino are taking the shots as opposed to, I don't know, Joel Linton, um, Ashley Barnes. Ali, nothing bad said about Ashley Barnes. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a smash of the no, XG. He's, he's, no, he's not bad. I'll give him that, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was up front for, for Southampton. Danny Ings. No, 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 sorry, Shea Adams. Shea Adams yeah, Danny like Mons, didn't he? You know, the quality isn't as high, so they're not going to be as clinical. So it, it will be interesting to see how the match goes. If, if Liverpool had defended how they defended last year, then I'd be saying, yeah, people expecting a 5-3 five, a five, are, are wrong. They shouldn't be expecting that. But I do think that this season, that's, that's a reasonable expectation simply because of how open... Both teams have been in certain moments. Isn't this a bit of a mistake? It, because basically, the, the thing about Liverpool, they're, Which, they're basically looking to, to to be like this. Yeah. Because the, the thing about last season is, and, and you know, completely turned down the fourth wall. Yeah. I'm a very very nervous watcher of football, and I'm probably on the negative side. The, the, this podcast has helped calm me down <laughs> um, because you look at the actual analytics behind things and, and you're actually sort of go, remove the emotion from it a little bit and go... There's nothing to worry about. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. to worry about. And last year, there was nothing to worry about because Liverpool are only going to give up about six or seven shots per game. They've got one of the best goalkeepers in the world in ca- when facing those shots. And Liverpool are probably going to take about ten to twelve shots per game themselves, and and, and you know they've got some of the best attacking players in the world. Is it not turning this into a bit more of a a, a gunslinging contest? Of a bit more of what you saw under Rodgers, a little bit more of the seventeen eighteen season, which whereby variance matters more than anything because yeah, you know Liverpool. Last year against Arsenal, one five one. Yeah, Arsenal started well, but after twenty minutes, they, they shut them down pretty much. Um, and you were confident about Liverpool. Here, if Liverpool go two 0 up, you're still going. 
what's going on. So uh, I mean, you know, not to say if it if it isn't broke, don't fix it. But I know exactly. It just it just, it just feels a little bit of a, a bit of a wild yeah a wild move. No, I know exactly where you're coming from, but I think from Klopp's perspective, again that obsession with development, and I think we're doing it with Future eventually just being a better and more complete team. Uh, and the, you know the problem is with that you have to go through an, an initial bedding in period where you're adjusting and there's the odd flaw. But as I said, I think this is this is being done with Future eventually being a really complete immaculate team. And I think that's why we do so well in Europe, because we're, we are very adaptable. You can cope with all different types of match scenarios. I think Man City, on the other hand, very idealistic, used to play in one set way. And if they do, maybe have to hold on to a lead, or if they do have to cope with a certain threat that they're, that they're not used to dealing with against Burnley on the weekend, or you know something like that. I just think the they're not as suited to, to different match scenarios as Liverpool are and I think although it's a risk what we're doing um, I think it's it's a calculated risk with you to being better ultimately and I, I've thought to myself maybe Liverpool will, will drop this new means of defending for this one-off match because of how fast the opposing team are but then I've also thought to myself that won't happen that's not going to happen I think we'll still We'll keep doing what we're doing. Klopp's never gone five at the back to repel Man City. He's not going to do it for Arsenal, no. is he? He's not going to change the, the way they're defending. No, but even the offside trap, I don't think we'll put that offside trap on hold for this one-off match. I think we'll play it again, purely because we're doing it for the sake of development. We, we will get better as a means of doing it. Um, this is a purely... I mean, this is completely going off script here. This is not that we have a script. <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 to, just to sort of clarify that... <laughs> Is there a, have Liverpool written off this season? Not written it off, but have they looked and gone, look, Man City are only going to get better. They're not going to. We're not going to win the league this season. We might as well develop and become a hundred point team ourselves next season. Um, Is, does that even enter anybody's heads? Am I just completely going left I, field I, here? I doubt we've written enough. I think it's more a case of a not saying the average, just the, just you know what Liverpool are like in terms of gaining an edge and. Being ahead of the curve, things like that. And I think with, with VAR being a very, very new development, I think Liverpool are again just looking to do a bit of that, whereby we are taking advantage of something that is new, being very open and welcoming to what's new, rather than um, you know going the opposite way and trying to stay all traditional with it. Liverpool have made tracks in recent years by constantly developing based on whatever is new and I think this is just a type of this is, this is just a kind of change that we'll have moved on to and we'll have opened our arms to just as a means of development and pushing on from what we would have maybe considered as the top because we're European champions we've won the most prestigious trophy in Europe maybe we'd sit on that and go okay Sam we're, we're good now but Obviously, Klopp doing this is is it kind of a message I think whereby we can keep going, we can we can be even better kind of thing. So, but against teams like Arsenal, especially in the early stages of of this development, it's it's certainly more riskier than than most most opponents. It's gonna be it's gonna be a high risk strategy. Like the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. This will be the worst game in terms of you look at the, the fixture list. 
And I don't think Burnley are going to be cutting through Liverpool in this, are going to take advantage of this at all. I don't think Newcastle are. Um, Chelsea will obviously be, be, be an interesting one as well. Um, and then I can't remember who the who the, the, the following game is. Maybe Leicester, maybe. Um, oh God, Jamie Vardy. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think the early stages of this match might, this is a complete guess, but it, it might go along the same lines as the early stages of the Community Shield where Sane was getting constant openings mm. against Trent. Um, hopefully not. But I think that's just what happens when you try to try to impose such a risky strategy against players who are quick and clever enough to to exploit the fact that there's loads of space in behind and players who are better with the movement than just negligently drifting offside without even being aware you're doing it. I think Aubameyang's got more about him, for example, than, than just being easy to catch offside like that. So, uh, yeah, it's it's certainly interesting ahead of this weekend and um, a little bit more concerning than usual. I'm usually very, very assured in how I believe we'll approach a game defensively, but just with me with me lately realising that we I do I do think this is happening. I think this is a bad opponent to play for while while you're learning to get to grips with that. Good. I'm glad you're worried because I am. <laughs> um, I've, I've, it's a it's a, I've I've put it it's a, it's a big concern for me. Um, I really don't want to sound down. I mean, Liverpool. No, yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's weird. It's it's the start of the season. It's sample size of of, of a very small. I I think also what you've got to remember here is that you know Arsenal lost the XG to Burnley. Yeah, they, and, they allowed, Newcastle. and Newcastle, they allowed 15 shots and they, they probably definitely shouldn't be on six points out of six. Um, I'm not judging on the fact that they're on six points out of six. What I'll say is Liverpool probably shouldn't be on six points out of six either. Um, but the big concern for me, and this is, let's let's take away the fact that Liverpool could absolutely obliterate Arsenal's defence. That's fine. We know that. Going the other way, the concern for me is the front three play, the, the three that haven't played yet, Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette, there's going to be that long ball over from Robertson and Trent. Um, and it just feels like they've got to sort of think about that as well. As well as this current Aubameyang, you know, springing the offside trap or breaking the offside trap, that kind of thing. I think they've probably got to think about maybe the full-backs and leaving too much space because Sterling and Sane, before he got injured against Liverpool um, on the, in the community shield at Wembley, had a lot of joy down there and our full-backs looked more in trouble then than they have done in a long, long time. Yeah, I just think it, de- it depends ultimately how Arsenal set up on the day. They've been playing 4-2-3-1 in both matches so far. They've included Joe Willock in both matches as a central midfielder. Who, according to Kevin Nolan, is better than Fabinho. <laughs> yeah, so you saw like, the yeah. Sky Sports team of the uh, well, one of those combined teams that they do. Uh, yeah, Kevin where Nolan, where you desperately try to fit in we some, some players. Arsenal players. Let's face it, it's probably eleven. I love the fact that they also just put Leno in because everyone was too scared to, because it's an easy one because Allison's injured. Yeah, it's it's like no no look, come on we're, we're putting Allison in but anyway yeah uh, Willock sends a bit. Yeah, uh, had, as you say Nelson in the attack. Yeah, Danny Ceballos came in and played as number ten, although he was absolutely everywhere. Wasn't strictly a number ten role on the weekend. Is he good? Oh, he was unreal. I just in general though is he? I, I'm yeah, always he, wary of a, of a player that no, it was Real Madrid majestic, absolute majestic performance. It was he was everywhere, um, 
you're one of them players, them players that you play with down the park, <laughs> where like any time you're in any kind of bother, just give them the ball. Yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll sort, sort it. it. And he was, he was like that. Super composed, great decision maker, good defensively too without the ball. But And he, he weren't particularly fast either. At all, in fact. Uh, he's not the strongest. He's a big lad, but he's not the strongest. He's just... Just one of them that like you, you've, you've, everyone's played with them throughout the life. Who's the these players that are just, they just demand the ball off everyone, and everyone's fully willing to just give them it and let them do what they want with it. And I mean, coming to coming to Anfield and doing it, you know, in that environment's a different story to doing that at home to Burnley. But nevertheless, it was a very impressive debut performance. Uh, anyway, just on, on Arsenal, on what Arsenal are going to select, it remains to be seen whether. The ball's over the top of Trent and uh, Robertson will be a problem because it does um, depend on the formation you select, the personnel you select. By all accounts, the, that Torreira is going to come in for Willock uh, just as a means of integrating some defensive stability. And I wouldn't be surprised if Pepe did come in for Nelson. Maybe Sabayas will stay as the 10. Who knows? But uh, it's a difficult one to to strictly predict before before the match kicks off and before we see the lineups. Would you even consider playing Gomez right back, for example? Um away I would. Mm. But I think just with it being an Anfield I think nah, I, I wouldn't do that. No. I, I think it's it I think I mean you got a bit of mind last season against Arsenal and Anfield. We played four two three one. We yeah. we were that like what's the word? We we weren't we weren't fussed at all by them to the extent that we were willing to play four two three one with Shakiri playing, and it was almost as though Klopp was like, "We'll we'll have a, we'll just have a have a knockout bout with you and see you knock knock the other fighter out first. And, and for me, you know, rolled up his sleeves and went absolutely yeah yeah yeah. yeah we posted the next G of three point four one in that match. That was a stunning, but that 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 that's forgotten in the annals of last season because yeah. there were so many moments, but. To beat Arsenal 5-1, absolutely demolished them. Yeah, 15 shots to six. Just destroyed them. So, you know, they're not an opponent that we overly have to be massively concerned about. We are a better team now, without doubt. It's just a case of because this new, because I personally think Liverpool are doing this new thing for the sake of development. This is just not the, the most ideal opponent to face, you know, because of the, the qualities and the skills they have in comparison to most other opponents. Spoke about Oxlade-Chamberlain before. Would you give him a chance against his former club? Um, yeah, I'd have no problem with Ox started. I don't think I've got a preferred midfield in mind for this match. I think Ox or Henderson would both be fine, um, providing they both provide that harrying thing in the midfield. And I think that's one thing worth noting on, on the high line thing. If we are opting to choose to to hold the line rather than the seating. It's important for the midfielders to then put pressure on the ball. Or otherwise, the likes of Ceballos can lift his head and play a ball over the top, and that's obviously what you don't want. Mm. So an added emphasis gets put on the midfield. But Ox, Ox provides that for me, so you know there's not much of a problem there. I think for me as well, Oxlade-Sablin, just in case we do need to see Trent Alexander-Arnold hold them back a little bit. And yeah, again, yeah, you know, it's, point, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it gives you that. We've spoken about the, the let's say the, the, the solid three, um, that did that Liverpool can sometimes play. Um, 
you need your fullbacks there, sort of picking up the attack and slack. Whereas, you know, if Chen can't get forward as much, if it would be on his side, it would be Pepe. No, it would be it'd be Aubameyang. Yeah. So yeah, it's it, it feels very much like if if, if you play Oxley Chamberlain, Trent doesn't have to get forward as much. Yeah. Um, final bit. I don't want to end, end negatively. Just another thing. If that front three plays, um, Adrian doesn't sweep as well as Allison. Uh, and obviously, there's this thing about the high line, Arsenal on the counter. Is that another worry? Is that does it just come back to the fact that it's not just on Adrian, it's on the fact that the midfield have got to harry and make sure that Ceballos isn't pulling the strings and the high line's got to be absolutely spot on? No, it is It is a worry, yeah, it is. Just simply because of reasons we've covered, really, regarding Asian not being as quick off his line, he's not as dominant when dealing with one-on-ones, doesn't save over an unexpected rate. So if he's presented, and what I said before as well about the likes of Van Dijk being able to catch the usual opponent. Aubameyang with a head start could be a different story there. Uh, so that might just result in the stays up one-on-one, which you'd, you'd probably... I mean, I think it's realistic to, to suggest that Aubameyang would probably win that and bossy. Uh, and it was it results in a goal being scored. So I do think it'll be one of them high-risk matches, um, certainly for Liverpool. I'm not sure what Arsenal are going to go with specifically, but... Considering we we are imposing this this slightly new defensive tweak, we have a backup goalkeeper who's not as mobile, playing against a very very speedy attacking line. It's just going to be one of them. I think where specifically you aren't going to cope with. I was going to say if if it's in that if it's if it if it is before, I probably won't have it by about seven thirty on Saturday. I know you're having a big prediction shots, but where, where are you sort of? I feel like this is a really hard one to predict. I think if Liverpool can navigate this, then they're in a really good position because I'm looking at the fixtures, um, and you know Chelsea away is is the only one where you look at and you go. You know, that, that that's going to be tough. Even the way I know they haven't started great, but um, there's there's a real opportunity here for Liverpool to before the Man United the way game at least to to I think it's play eight, win seven, draw one, for example, um, or even win all eight. So um, you know, where 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 do you reckon is is going here? I I do think we win. I do think we um, we win the match, but I think it's going to be more of a shootout than last season. Uh, you know, we we got asked it early in the the preseason about like is is there a problem with Liverpool's defence? And I was just like, it's nothing to worry about. It's just um, you know a lack of cohesion. We haven't got enough players involved that we usually see. Which you no, know, that that was true. But at that stage, I had no awareness of of Liverpool trying to to defend slightly differently in certain moments using an offside trap, which I do think now we are doing so. As I said, until until we master that, we are going to concede shots. I think we're going to concede. We're going to look a bit more open in certain moments. Teams are going to get behind us in certain moments more so than usual. Arsenal are very capable of doing that because of the speed and the passing um, quality in midfield. So as I said, I do think both shot uh, both teams will have at least ten shots each. More more than that probably, uh, and it's going to be a case of. Which team is the most clinical? I think, but just just because of the level at Liverpool, are Liverpool's defence being better in terms of individuals than Arsenal's defence 
I think Liverpool will win, but it, it could be, we, we could easily go a goal down, it could end up 3-2, you know, it, it, something like that, but I think we're in fair an entertaining one, I'd say that. Entertaining, excruciating, uh, <laughs> it's all the same to me. Uh, one last thing before we go, actually, Josh, um, Man City drew 2-2 against Tottenham and managed to post an XG of three oh, goals. this is definitely <laughs> worth mentioning this, <laughs> definitely. It's, it's one of those things where it's absolutely... Brilliant and hilarious and also it's great for Liverpool because they are on six points, Manchester City are on four. If Liverpool win 36 more league games than they are champions, I mean, we knew that anyway, but probably long term is not good if Man City are hosting the next year free against the fair best sides in the country. Oh, it really crazy. is. It's, it's, it's crazy. Talk about got, variance. If we can get that all season, that's fine, but I, I, it's just yeah. it's unreal. I got a tweet. Through me this week, I don't know if you've seen it. I, mean, I think I think that's why I'm bringing it up. Someone, someone's reason said so, that you're going to bring it up. Like, yeah, yes, yeah. Are. I I suggested that we maybe <laughs> we maybe open the pod, but just five minutes late of laughing <laughs> because it was. I mean, God help us on it. Justify the usefulness of XG and that goes and happen. Analyzing it, he has their heads have fallen off trying to talk about this one. And yeah. I, and, I, and what would you call the analyzing Tottenham one? Analyzing Tottenham Hotspur Stadium that doesn't really <laughs> yeah, work, does know. it? I don't know, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, just City, uh, 28 shots we've got them at on my scout. Three shots for spares, including one from the halfway line. <laughs> uh, was that Kane? That was Kane. Does he have five? Yeah. He just, just has won a game now, doesn't he? It was that bad that Guardiola, after the match, said that wasn't a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Guardiola taking an opter. Yeah. Uh, so, Man City posted next year with 3.24 Spurs posted next year of 0.18. Um, that's generous, you know. Just, that's just, generous, generous on Lamella. It just doesn't, that just doesn't happen. That's just incredibly unlucky. And that's where, like, you're not taking your chances or something's gone wrong or there's an, an incredible degree of variance or, you know, it's just... It's also, yeah, they've missed chances. VAR, Edison's had a bit of a nightmare for the first. It feels like it goes down the middle. They kind of miss company in those situations. I think, I think that's an interesting point. That's the one where you can't really get any data about it, but it feels like a 2 2 company rallies them when they win 3 2. Yeah. And uh, just before as well, I had a little look um, before on Liverpool's shots this season. The shots that we've allowed on our goal. Uh, just getting it up now. And the gap between every team and City is crazy. So Liverpool. Up to now, okay, we're doing this new defensive thing, but well, I think we are. Um, we've allowed 21 shots on our goal. Arsenal have allowed 26. Uh, Chelsea have allowed 19. Man United have allowed 24. City have allowed eight. No, oh. they're averaging 3.7 shots against them per match. We've already conceded 21. So that means it should take them seven games before they've conceded as many shots on goal as we have already. You've got Bournemouth this week, so it'll be interesting to see because we know Bournemouth like a shot. Yeah. Against good teams. They'll lose 7-1, but they'll they'll have a shot. Yeah. And in terms of shots taken, again, Liverpool have took 30, Spurs have took 31, Arsenal have took 23. I've got to scroll down for United. United have took 15. Uh, and City... 41. Yeah. So this is the playing field that we're on at the minute. We just uh, 
<laughs> need to keep pressing on really until Guardiola fancies another job somewhere else. <laughs> keep pressing on and, and, and just jib off that defensive line. Uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> we'll get there. Just we'll go, go we'll back. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Josh. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, this week. We'll be back next week. We'll be dissecting uh, the Arsenal game. I might have even less here than, than before. And we'll look ahead to Sean Dyche and Burnley. And you know that we'll have loads to talk about Sean Dyche and Burnley and their weird ways of XG. So thanks very much for joining us. Hope you enjoy the game on uh, the weekend and uh, take care. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.